98K News. It's one o'clock. I'm Andrew Shirovsky. The headlines. The chief executive says she's confident Hong Kong will maintain its status as an international finance hub. COVID cases in Shanghai hit a fresh record as lockdowns and mass testing continue. And Russia pledges to reduce its military assault on two regions of Ukraine. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has admitted Hong Kong may be seeing a brain drain during the pandemic, saying it may be an undisputed fact that some management executives have left the territory. Speaking during her daily COVID briefing, Mrs. Lam said she understands there are concerns as to whether or not the SAR can maintain its status as an international financial hub. But she says she believes Hong Kong will see better development in future, as long as it retains its traditional strengths. Stringent measures to prevent imported cases will, of course, affect foreign businesses' confidence, but their confidence shouldn't be based on short-term circumstances. It should come from Hong Kong as a city, the one country, two systems principle, and how the central government views the SAR. When it comes to the financial sector, I don't see another economy or city which has the support we do from the central government. It can't be helped if foreign companies cannot see this, but I know they can. Hong Kong is still a place where they can make money. Social welfare sector lawmaker Tik Chi Yuen says the government owes an apology to a group of homeless people who won a lawsuit against them over the removal of their belongings from the streets two years ago. A tribunal ruled yesterday that authorities had failed to provide due care to the items, and each claimant was awarded a nominal $100 in damages. Speaking on a radio show, Mr. Tick said the court ruling showed the enforcement action had been inappropriate, and officials should review and improve future procedures. The third-side lawmaker urged the government not to lodge an appeal. Asked about the case, Chief Executive Carrie Lamb says she will ask officials to continue to properly support homeless people. A local Chinese medicine expert says he hopes mainland specialists visiting Hong Kong can share their experience on how Chinese medicine can be used with Western medicine to treat COVID. Chen Wing Kuang, who chairs the Registered Chinese Medicine Practitioners Association, was commenting after seven mainland Chinese medicine experts arrived to help with Hong Kong's COVID fight. He says the mainland has been using Chinese medicine to treat COVID and experience in Hong Kong also showed that these medicines can soothe symptoms like fever and sore throat. Mainland experience shows us that Chinese medicine can work very well in treating COVID. Chinese medicine practitioners in Hong Kong have been unable to reach severe cases as the government hasn't arranged for us to work in hospitals. So we hope after the mainland experts visit, the government will attach greater importance to Chinese medicine and incorporate it into the medical system as soon as possible. The number of new COVID-19 cases reported in Shanghai has hit another record high, with total cases at 5,982. More than 300 of the patients showed symptoms. The financial hub is holding lockdown and testing operations in a bid to contain the Omicron wave. The new record in Shanghai pushed the number of daily local asymptomatic cases on the mainland to over 7,000. The National Health Commission also recorded more than 1,500 symptomatic infections, nearly three-quarters of which were in Jilin province. 
Overseas, Russia has said it will drastically reduce its military activity in Kiev and Chernihiv regions of northern Ukraine following peace talks in Turkey. Russia's deputy defense minister said the aim was to increase mutual trust. Ukraine's armed forces say although individual Russian units have been withdrawn from those two regions, Moscow is continuing its full-scale armed aggression. They say Russian forces are regrouping to focus on parts of eastern Ukraine. From Lviv, the BBC's Anna Foster reports. Russian forces approached Kyiv when this war started, but then stalled on the outskirts of the city after meeting fierce resistance. Many saw that as a failure of Russia's early ambitions. The Istanbul talks appear to be significant, with more concessions gained than at previous meetings held in Belarus. Even as these announcements were made, the fighting in Ukraine has continued. In the southern port city of Mykolaiv, seven people were killed and 22 injured when a regional administration building was hit by a Russian rocket. And thousands of civilians remain trapped in Mariupol. Earlier, Ukrainian negotiators at the talks in Istanbul proposed that Ukraine adopt neutral status in return for security guarantees. The Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has hailed what he called the positive signals from the day's talks, but said those signals did not drown out the explosions of Russian shells. He said Ukraine's army would not slacken its defensive efforts. We should not lose vigilance. The situation has not become easier. The scale of the challenge has not decreased. The Russian army still has significant potential to continue attacks against our state. Some countries should not even expect that certain negotiations will affect the lifting of sanctions against the Russian Federation. The question of sanctions cannot even be raised until this war is over, until we get back what is ours and restore justice. Moscow has accused Kyiv of shelling a military camp in Russia's southwestern region of Belgorod, near the border with Ukraine. The report from the Russian news agency TASS came shortly after the governor of Belgorod said there had been explosions in the village of Krasny Oktyabr. A video posted on social media shows a large explosion. The BBC has learned that Syrian fighters are being offered 7,000 U.S. dollars a month to fight on the front line for Russia in its war against Ukraine. One Syrian volunteer said he knew of at least 200 people who'd taken up the offer. Here's the BBC's Amir Nader. The Syrian soldier said he believed Russia was carrying out a massacre in Ukraine, but it was also helping poor Syrians who couldn't afford to eat. He had volunteered because of the money on offer. He told us people were offered contracts for $7,000 to fight. His family doesn't want him to go, but he was told that they would be paid $50,000 if he was killed. He knew of at least 200 people who had volunteered. The Ukrainian government and a leading Syrian NGO say 14 recruitment centres have been set up across Syria. At least four people have been killed in Israel in a shooting in the town of Benai Barak, the third such attack in the past week. Police say the gunman was also shot dead. The police believe the gunman was a Palestinian from the occupied West Bank. Israel's Prime Minister Naftali Bennett said his country was facing a wave of murderous attacks. We are at the start of a challenging period. We've become experienced at facing terrorism since the beginning of Zionism. They didn't break us then, and they won't break us now. The secret of our existence is our solidarity and our determination to safeguard the home we have built, at any cost. Citizens of Israel, we shall prevail at this time too. 
President Biden has signed into law the first federal legislation making lynching a hate crime. Anyone convicted would face up to 30 years in prison. Mr. Biden called lynching a pure terror, widely used against black Americans in the South from the 1830s onwards. The bill is named after Emmett Till, a black teenager whose brutal killing galvanized the civil rights movement in the 1950s. Vice President Kamala Harris said lynching was, and always had been, a hate crime. Lynching is not a relic of the past. Racial acts of terror still occur in our nation. And when they do, we must all have the courage to name them and hold the perpetrators to account. The United Nations Children's Fund says schools in 23 countries are still fully or partially closed following the coronavirus pandemic. It estimates that almost 150 million children have missed at least half of their in-person schooling. The BBC's Branwyn Jeffrey reports. In March 2020, the world's schools shut in response to the coronavirus pandemic. And two years later, 23 countries, home to more than 400 million school-aged children, have yet to fully reopen their classrooms. In four countries, Honduras, the Philippines, Solomon Islands and Vanuatu, at least 70% of schools are shut. UNICEF says some poorer children have been left with no option but to work, while girls have been vulnerable to early pregnancy and marriage. It found that only 60% of countries had a plan to recover lost learning. The town of Lismore on the east coast of Australia has been evacuated for the second time in a month after 36 hours of torrential rain. The Wilsons River breached its levee and flowed into the town's streets. Three other towns have also been inundated and the acting premier of New South Wales has warned that more wet weather is on the way. South Korea says an intercontinental ballistic missile launched last week by North Korea was not the new advanced model Pyongyang claimed it was. The BBC's Will Leonardo explains. Last week, Pyongyang hailed the successful launch of its newest missile, the Hwasung-17, an ICBM said to have a range of 15,000 kilometres. Footage was released of the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, apparently overseeing the tests, dressed in a leather jacket and sunglasses. But analysts now say weather and light in the video didn't match up with the conditions. A few days before, a projectile had exploded in mid-air over Pyongyang, reportedly causing damage as it showered the North's capital with debris. Today, South Korean defence officials told MPs they presumed this was the Hwasung-17 and the test last week, an older model. Mexico is to open a fresh investigation into the disappearance and suspected murder of 43 students in 2014 in the wake of new allegations that the military falsified information on their fate. A team of investigators has concluded that the student teachers who vanished in the state of Guerrero were murdered by a criminal group in collusion with local police. New analysis shows that for the first time, wind and solar power generated more than 10% of the world's electricity last year. But there was also a big increase in the amount of electricity generated from coal. As the BBC's Matt McGrath explains. As global economies rebounded from the COVID pandemic in 2021, demand for electricity soared. For the first time, wind and solar provided more than a tenth of overall demand. The Netherlands, Australia and Vietnam were among those countries switching rapidly to greener sources. But coal also bounced back, particularly in Asian countries, as the rapidly rising price of gas made the most carbon-intensive fuel more attractive. Scientists say that to keep the rise in global temperatures under 1.5 degrees Celsius, 
Celsius this century, wind and solar need to grow by 20% every year from now to 2030. More than half a billion U.S. dollars of cryptocurrency has been stolen from a digital ledger used by players of the popular online game Axie Infinity. The game's makers were alerted yesterday when one user was unable to withdraw his money. The Ronin network blockchain had been targeted by hackers who appear to have got hold of private keys to withdraw digital funds. It added that most of the hacked funds were still in the thieves' wallet. It's one of the largest thefts ever of cryptocurrency. A short time ago, the Hang Seng Index was at 22,177. That's 240 250 points up on the previous close. Turnover stands at $79.3 billion. In currencies a short time ago, the U.S. dollar was worth 121.72 yen. The euro was at 1 U.S. dollar and 11 cents. And the pound was worth 10 Hong Kong dollars and 25 cents. In sport, we start with football, where Portugal and Poland are the latest European teams to book their places in this year's Football World Cup. Bruno Fernandes sent Portugal to Qatar 2022 by scoring both goals in a 2-0 victory at home over North Macedonia. And in Poland, Robert Lewandowski opened the scoring from the penalty spot, and the hosts went on to beat Sweden 2-0. In Africa, the Cup of Nations champion Senegal booked their place at the World Cup, beating Egypt on penalties in the second leg of their playoff in Dakar after the game finished one all on aggregate. More from the BBC's John Bennett. History repeated itself in Dakar because just like in the Africa Cup of Nations final, Senegal beat Egypt on penalties. And just like at the AFCON final, it was Sadio Mane who scored the winner. This time, though, Mohamed Salah did take a penalty. Remember, in the AFCON final, he was due to take the fifth penalty, but it didn't get that far for Egypt's fifth penalty to be taken. This time, he took Egypt's first penalty but he blazed it over the bar. So no World Cup for Mohamed Salah. He won't be going to Qatar. He was very emotional at the end. Sadio Mane will be at that World Cup, along with the Chelsea goalkeeper, Edouard Mendy, who saved one of the penalties in the shootout. So a, a fantastic night for Senegal at their all-new modern stadium in Dakar. Senegal will be joined at the World Cup by Ghana, whose one-all draw against Nigeria was enough to secure qualification on away goals. There was a heartbreak for Algeria as Cameroon scored late to qualify at their expense. Morocco and Tunisia have also qualified. Details from the BBC's Paul Serres. Morocco were 4-1 winners over DR Congo in Casablanca to secure their passage to Qatar 5-2 on aggregate. Tunisia and Mali drew 0-0 in Tunis with the Eagles of Carthage qualifying 1-0 on aggregate. And in Bleeder, Cameroon were 1-0 winners in the 90 minutes over Algeria to take the tie to extra time. Algeria thought they'd won it when Ahmed Touba scored with two minutes remaining only for Carl Toko Akambi to score in the 123rd minute to send the the indomitable Lions to Qatar on away goals. And weather, sunny periods again tomorrow, rather warm during the day. It'll become cool and windy with a few rain patches. Temperature right now, 25 degrees Celsius, 61% is the humidity. That's the news from RTHK.
Welcome to the 123 Show with me, Sadia Usmani. And it's Wednesday, which means we open JJ's Music Box after 1.30. And today, Jayang Javeri travels to Taiwan to meet the late and greatest Teresa Tang. Um, the iconic female vocalist, often referred to as the voice of Asia in Greater China and Southeast Asia and Japan. And after 2 p.m., Cruz McCallaghan is here with her weekly audio column. And this week, she gets plastered. Yes, her chosen subject is Band-Aids. So that is all coming up on the show between now and 3 p.m. So I hope you're going to keep me company. Keeping me low I don't got time to 
wasted time to kill. I've had too much to. Do.